We're going to be reading um, selections uh, from the book of Job tonight. Um, We're tracking through uh, prayers in the Old Testament uh, with the goal that we can grow ourselves in our prayer life. We were a couple weeks ago as Jacob and the Lord and last week Moses and now uh, we're up to Job. Um, We always have the words up front that's great to follow along there. You're always encouraged to follow along in your Bibles too. That can be really helpful and back to what I was talking about this morning a little bit. You can kind of check up on us as pastors. We've got to be held accountable that we're preaching the Word of God and not just uh, our own stuff too. So it's going to be Job 27, verse 1 is where we're going to start. Um, but I just want to, uh, just a couple introductory things before we read. You know, Job, and the book of Job, Job is best known for being a righteous man who suffered tremendously right? And, and we see in Job a godly response to suffering, uh, even though his wife and his three friends tempted him to respond poorly to suffering. Uh, we see, you know, just like in a lot of the Psalms, we see in the book of Job that we can bring before God in prayer our questions in the face of troubles. Uh, the book of Job tells us we don't just have to grin and bear it in hardship. We're not stoics. We can call out uh, to God with prayers of why and cry and our tears. And, and our God is big enough to handle that. Pastor Matthew mentioned uh, early on in our series the book Daring to Draw Near as one of the books that we're using as a resource for these sermons. Well, the author of that book asks us to consider uh, something that we can learn from Job's suffering, how he talked to God about that, how God responded, and then how Job ultimately responded in the end. It's something that I think can impact our prayer life tremendously in this way in particular, by helping us grow in our reverence for God, helping us grow in our sense of awe for the Lord. So that's, that's kind of where we're going tonight. And now we're going to read uh, a number of, of verses in Job. Uh, we're a ways into Job as we start. And we're just going to pick it up, 27 verse 1. Uh, This is God's holy and infallible word. So this is all in response to Job's sufferings, um, his wife, his friends. They're talking back and forth. Job continued in his discourse, As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty, who has made me taste bitterness of soul, As long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness, and my tongue will utter no deceit. I will never admit you are in the right till I die. I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my righteousness and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. 
And then we move forward to chapter 30, verse 20. I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly with the might of your hand. You attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me down to death, to the place appointed for all the living. Surely no one lays a hand on a broken man when he cries for help in his distress. Have I not wept for those in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? Yet when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then came darkness. The churning inside me never stops. Days of suffering confront me. I go about blackened, but not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. I have become a brother of jackals, a companion of owls. My skin grows black and peels. My body burns with fever. My harp is turned to mourning and my flute to the sound of wailing. Then 38, 1 through 7. Job has spoken now for a number of chapters, and we just got a little taste of that. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone, while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Then, 41 through 9, the Lord said to Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. And then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's, and can your voice thunder like his? And then finally, 42 one through six. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's God's word for us tonight. How did God get so small is the question in the sermon title. In Mary's famous song, Mary, Jesus' Mother, in the Gospel of Luke, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Magnify is to make bigger. How do we magnify God, who is already the greatest of all? 
Well, we do that by making him greater to us, more important to us, greater than anything else in our lives. I believe a number of years ago, I shared the story of a great aunt of mine, um, Ida Drenth. Um, Years ago, it might have been in the 60s, maybe the 70s, she was visiting uh, family, and she saw a sticker on the bed of one of her nieces, and it said, Jesus is my friend. She was horrified. Her response was, Jesus is my friend? No, Jesus is my God, my Lord, my master, but never my friend. The reality, of course, is that Jesus does call us his friends. We rightly sing what a friend we have in Jesus. Years ago, like Ida, uh, we might have made God or had a tendency to make God too distant from us, not daring to say what Jesus himself says. I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. But now I wonder if maybe we don't have the opposite problem. Have we gotten too familiar with the Lord? Have we lost the reverence? Instead of magnifying the Lord, has he shrunk? He can't really, of course, but has he shrunk from our point of view? The children in the Chronicles of Narnia learned that Aslan, the the lion who's a Christ-like figure in the book, Aslan is good, but he's not safe. God is not our teddy bear. He's a lion. He's good and loving, yes, but also more powerful and awesome than we could ever imagine. Jesus tells us to pray, Father, to our God. And, and you've, you've probably heard before that the Aramaic word for Father, the, the Aramaic was the form of Hebrew they spoke in Jesus' day, is Abba. And you've probably also heard pastors tell you that it's, uh, this is true, it's, it's, it's the word that little kids used in Jesus' day to refer to their father. But does it follow that that means that God is our daddy? Is that right to say? I'm, I'm not so sure that God is our daddy. He's our father. Is he our daddy? So, in other words, what I'm asking is, do we have the respect for God's name that we ought to? Or has God become kind of our heavenly buddy? As the author of this book I mentioned writes, in our prayer life, we certainly want to strive for honesty and openness and a break from like ritual. And, but all those things are good. Conversational prayer, learning to pray that way, it can be a breakthrough for people. But he says this, and I like it, have we today become tone deaf to awe. Have we become tone deaf to awe? <clears throat> it almost seems that Job got a little too familiar with the Lord. Job's story is something else. In one day, all his sons and daughters were killed. 
all his flocks and oxen and donkeys uh, were wiped out. All his wealth in the world was gone. After losing everything else, he's struck with this severe illness. Job's wife tells him to curse God and die. He has this wonderful response. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? He has these three friends who want him to get bitter about it all, who want him to give in to despair, but he doesn't do that either. He's got this wonderful and godly response so far. And then in chapter 27 that we read, and also in chapters 30 and 31, Job is wrestling with God, calling out to him. And of course, that in itself isn't a problem. We may wrestle with God. We, we bring him our struggles and our doubts and our questions. But does Job go too far with his questions? Is his attitude what it should be? Uh, you, you look at that 27 verses 2 through 6. He says he will maintain his righteousness. He's a righteous man. We know this. But has Job almost become self-righteous? You look at chapter 30, verse 20 and following, and he's making accusations against God. He's accusing God of not being fair to him. In chapter 31, he goes on, and, and we didn't read this, but it's fascinating. He lays out all these different sins that he doesn't do. He doesn't lust, verses 1 through 4. He doesn't cheat in business, Verses 5 through 8, he isn't un, hasn't been unfaithful in his marriage. 9 through 12, he talks about social justice in verses 13 and following. He cares about that. He understands the problems of greed and idolatry, and he hasn't fallen into that either. Verses 24 to 27, God, where's the justice in me? Job's saying, a righteous guy. Where's the justice in having all these bad things happen to me? He's laying out all this stuff about his life as if God didn't know it already. And then in verse 35, he quite boldly says, Let the Almighty answer me. Where's the justice, God? I don't deserve this, God. I expect an answer, God. He's being very forward, very tenacious. Is Job getting a bit too familiar? Has he made God too small? Where's the awe? Where's the holy reverence? God comes to Job after all this in chapter 38. Out of the storm, we read, no doubt to remind Job just who he's talking with. And God turns things around. He speaks now and asks Job some questions. 40 verse 1, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. And what's the result? Job is humbled. He's silent. I put my hand over my mouth. Job realizes Maybe he's gone too far. Maybe he's overstepped his bounds. That torrent of words seems a little awkward now. Maybe it was out of place. 
How did he dare to question and critique God? The one who had gotten too big for his britches is now realizing his proper place before God, and that's good. There's something very healthy about this humility and being reduced to silence before God. We're so concerned about self-image, self-esteem these days. You know, we know, right, if, if someone has an inferiority complex, that's, that's not good, that's bad, that's unhealthy. But our solution to that is to make ourselves bigger and bigger. Our, our solution in our society is to puff ourselves up. We talk about how proud we are of ourselves. Which if you think about it, that's really odd language. We talk about our huge accomplishments. We look in the mirror, pose for our selfies. We think we're so great. But the real solution isn't to make ourselves bigger. It's to see ourselves properly. It's to know our place before God. To know that he's the center of the universe, not us. To know that we are actually pretty small in the big scheme of things. That's the reality of it. And yet, God loves us, and he has a perfect plan for us. We're small, and that's okay. We're small, and yet we fit into the exact place in this world and in history that our loving God has purposed for us. The healthiest people get that. They know their place in life. They don't make themselves bigger and God's smaller. They marvel at the glory of their God. They see their life as lived before His majesty. So Job first was maybe talking a little too much. Bordering on being irreverent, maybe a little overly bold, forgetting for a moment who God really was. And then, as God lovingly but very firmly corrects him, Job is reduced to silence. He puts a hand over his mouth. But it doesn't end with silence. In chapter 42, Job must speak after all this yet. I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. He must speak. He must praise the Lord. Now Job is magnifying his God. He has become greater in his mind and in his life. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And, and you can picture Job just laughing at himself through his tears. What was I thinking? And it's good for us to laugh at ourselves in the presence of God at our foolishness sometimes. He says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Now, what did he see? God came in a whirlwind. No doubt Job couldn't even articulate what he saw. He learned that God was more awesome than he could ever imagine, greater than his small mind could grasp. And then this really tells you something. Therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. If you repent, you know you're wrong. 
He's changed. To repent is to turn around. His view has changed in light of God's revelation. Job Job knows he's wrong. He admits it freely. So the question is, has, has God for us become too small? He is our heavenly Father. We, we approach him in prayer for Jesus' sake, and we have a relationship with him because of Christ's great sacrifice on the cross that enabled our adoption into the family of God. The Bible even talks about boldly going before the throne of grace. Absolutely. But we're also called to pray, hallowed be thy name. And so may the Lord's name be hallowed in our hearts, in our lives, in our prayers. May we give God the worship and the honor he is due. You know, what might that look like in our prayers? You know, we, we tend to pray, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your many blessings. Bless our church our worship and ministries. Forgive us for our failure, God, to worship you more. Forgive us for not being more loving to each other. Help us to witness to you with our lips, with our lives. Bless the missionaries we support, and on and on. Great, Fine prayer. But maybe if we've gotten a glimpse of the glory and majesty of our God, our prayers would shift a bit. Or something would be added to them. Something like, Lord, as we see you as you are, we marvel that you're interested in us at all. Lord, we're overwhelmed by your glory. We can only say, worthy are you, O Lord, to receive honor and praise and dominion and power. We fall on our faces before you. We're delighted to know that we're we're creatures that you created. Lost children found and redeemed. Your love is incomparable, and we have no words. We don't have enough words to worship you, to truly magnify you enough. The Holy Spirit will teach us how to pray this way, how to tremble before God as well as be close to Him. God's correction restored Job's perspective didn't tear him down. Uh, we read in uh, verse 7 and following of 42 that he received God's approval. And, uh, put it maybe a little tritely, he lived happily ever after. He got twice as much property and children as before. And we can miss the real significance of this, but you know, prosperity, children, in that day they were seen as signs of God's approval. It's a sign of that. I don't, it's not a proof text that if you obey God, you'll become wealthy of lots of kids. It's a sign of God's favor, though, for sure. And it's telling us through all this that certainly not all suffering is punishment. And that can be our tendency when we see suffering. Well, those people are being punished or that person's being punished. Well, no. Those whom God loves, like Job, like you and me, may indeed undergo trials to be brought closer to the Lord. Through the suffering, we see that in the end, greater riches have come to Job. And the real riches are the treasure of coming 
to a new understanding of the glory of God. I really believe that that is where he comes. And this is a knowledge that, that hopefully we can gain too from this book of Job, a better knowledge of who God is and of our place before him. That knowledge brings blessing in life. That knowledge brings rest for your soul and contentment day by day. Job eventually died, the very last verse of the book. An old man and full of days, however many days God has for us, the more we know the glory of our God, as well as our little place in his loving care, the more content we can be. And may we live and may we die more and more in the knowledge of our glorious and great and loving and kind God.